This afternoon I preach you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in Article 14 of the Belgic Confession. You can find that on page 504 in the book of Praise. Belgic Confession, Article 14, titled The Creation and Fall of Man and His Incapability of Doing What is Truly Good. We believe that God created man of dust from the ground, and he made and formed him after his own image and likeness, good, righteous, and holy. His will could conform to the will of God in every respect. But when man was in this high position, he did not appreciate it, nor did he value his excellency. He gave ear to the words of the devil and willfully subjected himself to sin and consequently to death and the curse. For he transgressed the commandment of life which he had received. By his sin, he broke away from God who was his true life. He corrupted his whole nature. By all this, he made himself liable to physical and spiritual death. Since man became wicked and perverse, corrupt in all his ways, he has lost all his excellent gifts which he had once received from God. He has nothing left but some small traces which are sufficient to make man inexcusable. For whatever light is in us has changed into darkness. As Scripture teaches us, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Where the Apostle John calls mankind darkness and that's in John 1 verse 5. Therefore we reject all teaching contrary to this concerning the free will of man. Since man is a slave to sin, John 8, verse 34, and a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven, John 3, verse 27. For who dares to boast that he of himself can do any good when Christ says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, John 6, verse 44. Who will glory in his own will when he understands that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God? Romans 8, verse 7. Who can speak of his knowledge since the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God? 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. In short, who dares to claim anything when he realizes that we are not sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5. Therefore, what the apostle says must justly remain sure and firm, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, Philippians 2, verse 13. For there is no understanding nor will conformable to the understanding and will of God unless Christ has brought it about. As he teaches us, apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, verse 5. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Article 14 of the Belgic Confession reminds us of Zechariah's vision of Joshua the high priest in his filthy garments in the presence of the Lord. We confess together how deeply sin affects our being 
and how we got to be in this position. We believe that our incapability of doing what is truly good is directly connected to the sin of Adam and Eve in paradise for and your catechism student and the family will tell you uh, why, how we were made, Lord's Day 3. For there our nature became so corrupt that we were all conceived and born in sin. We were created righteous, but our nature became corrupt in paradise. I believe that's the assignment uh, for this week. And since we know that God is not the author of the sins which are committed, we publicly declare to the world, and we do it again this afternoon, that we know that we deserve physical and spiritual death because of our sins. Like Joshua, the high priest that we read about in Zechariah 3, we cannot deny that without the gracious work of God in our lives, we will always remain dead in our sins. Ephesians 2, verse 1. Dead means we are unable to do anything to raise ourselves up from the grave. Now that's very hard to understand. It's very hard to understand or believe really in our hearts that we are incapable of doing anything worth merit toward our salvation. People with a home, a job, a social support group, friends and family, they can easily consider their success to be a necessary result or a reward of their own hard work or maybe their nice personalities or other personal merits. It always seems there's a connection between the things we do or the people we are and how things turn out for us. To think of absolute grace is a very difficult concept for us to understand. And we often then bring this type of thinking into the church and into the blessings that we have in, in God. And those who feel like they are walking close to God, they often attribute it to their own faithfulness in doing the right things in, in the Christian dis disciplines, the Christian exercises, reading and prayer. On the other hand, those among us who feel trapped in sin often reveal that they too believe that God judges them based on their works when they become afraid of God because of the sins they can't seem to escape from. The self-righteous, proud person and the desperate, fearful person may both be struggling with that same trust and dependence on the value of their own works for their salvation. But is trying harder to do what is right, is that the solution? We confess in Article 14 that it won't work because no matter who you are, you on your own are incapable of doing any good of yourself. Good that merits salvation. We are saved by grace alone. Only Christ's work is sufficient. And that's the gospel. The gospel I preach this afternoon. Every truly good thing has been given to us by God. Every good thing we have and every good thing we do. 
In our confession, we repeat the words of John 3, verse 27. If you have your book of praise with you, it's good to have it open. I'll be referring to it often throughout this message. In our confession, we repeat the words of John 3, verse 27, that a person cannot receive even one thing unless it has been given him from heaven. You can see where the theme of the message comes from. Every good thing we have has been given us to us by God. And then you see how our confession starts out with the creation of mankind. And, and we right away see, yes, my life is a gift of God. And my life, our lives, is a story of being raised from dust to dignity. God formed Adam from the dust of the earth and his wife from the man's rib. Adam and Eve are the first parents of the entire human race. We confess that our office as God's representatives on the earth have also been given to us by God. God made Adam and Eve in his own image and likeness. Being created in the image and likeness of an invisible, eternal, holy God gives us a clear picture that we are children of God. Being called it, being made in the image of God is, is, being, is emphasizing that we are his children. And you can see the same language is used in Genesis 5 to speak of Adam's son in his image. We are children of God, but children who have a special responsibility to represent the will of God here on the earth, to, to represent the Lord's will to those around us. So being created in the image of God is not about how you look, but it is about how you act. And so you can't reason up from the, from the human form to try and get a picture of the invisible God who is spirit, but you can reason from the perfect obedience of God's Son, Jesus Christ, to the will of your heavenly Father. Our creation in the image of God isn't visible in our appearances, immortality, morality, or rationality that we can think and reason, but it is represented visible in our task and calling to represent God on the earth as kings and queens called to rule all things so that God might receive the highest glory possible. That office, that calling has been given to us by God when he made us. He created us to do that. He made us to love him and to love our neighbor, just like that's described for us in the Ten Commandments. He created us to rule over creation as he rules over creation, promoting service and harmony among all God's creatures. We see the, the beauty of God in the task, the mission that he has given to us. And then we see something else that we have that we confess we receive from God, the excellent gifts of goodness, righteousness, and holiness. They were also given to the human beings who were to be the crown of God's creation in their office. And so when God made human beings, they were perfectly equipped to serve him according to his will. 
the excellent gifts that God gave to his creatures were sufficient to equip people to live in an eternal relationship of peace with their creator and, he de- de- and, and so that he could develop creation from a garden to a city. Genesis 2 talks about filling the earth. The Psalms filling the earth with the glory of God, with every aspect of our work, of our relationships together, of our worship as we fill the earth like the Holy of Holies filling the earth that we read about last week and two weeks ago in Revelation chapter 21. And so we see what God has all given us. He gave us every good thing we need to be useful, joyful, and peaceful in this life. And we confess it very clearly that there was a time when men and women could conform to the will of God in every respect. And we might imagine how is that possible until we go to the New Testament we read about Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ, who was 100% human, man, He proved that it was possible for the creatures that God made to serve him faithfully. Jesus' life is an example of goodness, righteousness, and holiness. Jesus loved God and his neighbor perfectly, and he hated sin and the devil passionately. Jesus also showed that God made us strong enough to resist the temptations that were faced, and not just temptations and the comfort of paradise when the people could have everything they could want or could possibly need like Adam and Eve's situation. But he showed that it is we were made able to resist temptation even in times of rejection and starvation and in the harshness of the desert. And then we see in Christ how many good things that God made us with. After the fall into sin, God sent his own son into this sinful world and he took on human flesh to become like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin. And when we hear that gospel, we step back, we say, that's another very good thing that we have that God has given to us, his very own son, Jesus Christ. And he sent his son with the purpose to bring us back into peace with our creator by bearing the punishment that we deserve, by fulfilling all righteousness that we failed to carry out. Jesus Christ must be on the list of good things that we have from God because the day came when man robbed himself and all his descendants of the gifts that God had given him when he created man and women in his image. And Jesus Christ is the one who gives hope even to fallen sinners. And we confess the present state of corruption and separation from God and spiritual death that we see in ourselves and, and all around us that's a result of the attention that Adam and Eve paid to the words of the devil. The result of their their willful subjection to sin and consequently to death and to the curse is that human beings have become corrupt and wicked in all our ways. 
We refer to the state as a state of total depravity. This does not mean that we are totally depraved, as totally depraved as we could possibly be, but it means that every part of our being, our body, our soul, mind, and strength, to use the, the categories our Lord Jesus used to describe our life, all those aspects have been so infected with sin and its consequences that we no longer are able to make even a decision to draw nearer to God ever to be able to worship Him as God's image bearers. Total depravity renders us totally unable to fulfill our task as God's image bearers. And so when we speak of sin and when we confess our sins, it's with a sorrow, not just sorry to disappoint you, God, but it's with a sorrow of that inability to do what we were made to do. Any small traces of good that are admittedly still left within us, and the Canons of Dort give us a nice list. It's chapter 3, 4, article 4. That means like small, some notions about God, some notions about natural things, and about the difference between what is honorable and shameful, and the bit of regard for virtue and outward order that you might find even in the most depraved sinner. All those things are unable to help us arrive at a saving knowledge of God and true conversion only serve to make man inexcusable. That's what our confession is talking about in Article 14. And we confess so clearly, for whatever light is in us has changed into darkness. As scriptures teach us, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1 verse 5, where the apostle John calls mankind darkness. And that's the picture revealed to us in the scriptures. And as believers, we confess that to be true. And we can use an analogy, a comparison of a flowing river to help us understand. So picture in your minds a river that's flowing, a fast-flowing river with the white water and the rocks. The current of that river is very strong. Well, the current in all that God created consistently and powerfully flows in one direction. The people that God created were equipped with skills and desires and strength to thrive in this environment. We could say that God set us as sailors on the ship so that we could flow with the current further and further into God's glorious creation where we could constantly see increasing amounts of the depths of his grace and his, and his majesty and his glory. That's the things we have when he made us. We only had to stay on the boat dependent on his grace, safe, in his love, and we would experience the fullness of that fellowship. And then the devil came and promised that he could give us a better view of the river if we went against the current. We only had to ignore God's word and trust ourselves, chain ourselves to the devil, put weighted boots on our feet, 
jump out of the boat, forget about our skills about sailing, and join him in an adventure of a lifetime fighting against the current, doing things that we were never made to do. And after Adam and Eve gave words, gave attention to the words of the devil, after they jumped out, they and their descendants were enslaved to a life of fighting God's will, fighting the current in every step, gasping for air, unwilling and unable to get anywhere in their own strength, inclined to, to always hate God and their neighbor, to hate that current that you're constantly fighting against. At the instigation of the devil, they had deprived themselves of every good thing they had received in themselves. And yet, and yet, there was one good thing that not even the devil could take away. That good thing was God himself, the creator. God the Son came down into that misery and suffering of of man could say to use the picture firmly connected to the ships on our cur- on the current our savior entered into the water he cut the chains of the devil he strapped faith ropes around our waist to bind us to him and he pulled us out of our miserable state to place us right back on the right path and although we have lost all our excellent gifts we have lost life and goodness, and righteousness, and holiness. These gifts are restored to us in the person of Jesus Christ, our substitute. He used those gifts for us. He used them to do for us what we were completely unable to do. He is the most important good thing we have, we have ever received, and we have him as our brother, as our Savior, as our Lord, only by the grace of God. This is the gospel that all the scriptures announce to us, to the world. Jesus Christ is the Savior. With him, we are now restored to a place where we as believers in Jesus Christ might actually begin to do, to do good things. And every truly good thing we do is from God. In order to understand what Christ has saved us for, we need to be reminded again of why God created us in the first place. Whenever we speak of salvation, whenever we speak of grace, whenever we speak of receiving clean clothes, we are always asking the question, what did God give us these things for? Well, when God... We believe and confess that God placed man in a high position of excellency in the world. Human beings were given a commandment of life, we confess. Placed in constant fellowship with the source of life, Adam and Eve were given a free will so that they could choose to obey God by doing good things with their lives. God gave human beings a marvelous mandate. Discover things. Build. Invent. Enjoy the pleasures of love and relationships with others around you. Fill the earth. Rest. 
worship. Even today, it's only when we are doing these things in the way of love and harmony revealed in the Ten Commandments that we begin to get a notion of why we are here on the earth. What these bodies and minds and mouths were made to do. The free will that God gave Adam and Eve allowed them to do genuinely good things in the world. The opportunity to sin, that opportunity to to jump off the boat that was provided in the tree of knowledge of good and evil gave a level of purity and sincerity and joy to their willingness to conform to the will of God in every respect. And again, we see God did not create robots, but living beings with bodies and souls who could experience true freedom in their relationships with God and their neighbor. This free will adorned, decorated every good thing they did with the joyful color of willingness and was a clear manifestation of the grace of God in their lives, doing good things eagerly, willingly, and lovingly is a gift of God. And the only way to experience perfect freedom of will is to conform your will to the will of the eternal Lord that you are representing here in the world. The devil presented his offer to Adam and Eve as if it was a way to truly accept God's gift of having a free will, the father of all lies. Deceived Adam and Eve. Choosing to disobey was presented in such a way that it looked like a sign of real freedom. The problem was, That the act of disobeying God is the act of giving up the freedom to walk in God's ways and in conformity to God's will. And so Adam and Eve used their free will to lose their free will. And so they freely chose to chain themselves and all their descendants to rebellion and eternal punishment. And ever since then, Psalm 51 says, everyone is conceived and born in sin. And the Bible is very clear when it teaches that the human race became slaves to sin. John 8, verse 34. Hostile to God. Romans 8, verse 7. Resistant to the things of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Those are all the the verses referred to in Article 14. Ever since the fall into sin, when Adam and Eve chained themselves and their descendants to the great adversary of God and became jaded and rebellious in their own hearts because of that rot of sin that keeps getting worse and worse as it grows and permeates our hearts, ever since then we must reject all teaching that defends that man still has a free will. That would be to deny that slavery to sin and the devil. The person who is chained to the devil in his counterflow journey along the river bottom on his way to eternal perdition, perdition 
That person may be able to choose where in the river he fights against the the current. And he may be able to decide what he will eat or what he will wear in this time of slavery. But he can never choose to return to the boat. And that's what we mean when we confess that we must deny the teaching that man has free will. Slaves to sin have been so deceived that on their own, they cannot even imagine the existence of a boat, really believe that it could be there, much less that that boat will provide a better life. And so they continue to willingly choose the way of slavery. And this is why we confess that every good thing we do has to be done in our hearts by God. And the good news is, That although by nature we are completely unable to have even one good thought, God can equip us to do good things again. The Bible is very clear that God has to act first. John 6 verse 44 that we read together, it records Jesus' declaration, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The text describes two things That happen. The Father draws his chosen people out of their rebellion, like someone might draw a bucket up from the bottom of the well. That's the first thing. And the second thing we see in John 6, verse 44 that those who are drawn by God come to Jesus Christ in repentance and humility and follow him to have peace with God. Well, we have already seen how God has given us the first when he sent his son as our substitute and as our, as our savior, as the, the chain cutter, as the deliverer and the rescuer. Well, as God has given us the first, he has also given us the second, that desire to follow Jesus Christ. The gospel message is that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ receives the Holy Spirit who dwells in their hearts, who guides them in all truth. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is good works. It's an ongoing process of sanctification in which we use God's Word and the sacraments in this journey of life as we follow Christ. We hide ourselves in Him more and more. We reflect on the beauty of His work. And we rejoice in the freedom that we have. Christians today confess it very clearly. Every good thing we do is from God. And all we're doing is quoting Philippians 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will, that means to desire, and to work for His good pleasure. So to use the analogy, we could say he rescued us from the water and he then gave us a willing spirit that desires to remain on the boat and faithfully grow in our knowledge of God, to, to go back into that life of understanding greater, having greater understanding of the depth of the glory and majesty of God. And although as we read in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 5, We are not sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. We are able to joyfully report 
that our lives are sufficient even after the fall into sin for our sufficiency is from God himself. By God's grace, we are able to do good things even though we confess it is just a beginning. And so there we are. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, rescued from the grip of the devil who was leading us against God. There we are. Here we are, back on the boat, wounded, dripping, exhausted, and yet also relieved and thankful and, and renewed in our vigor to remain in Christ our life. Now consider carefully the attitude that the Holy Spirit works in your hearts. And it's very important to see that the confession spends so much time looking at the attitude. We also confess how the Spirit changes our attitudes. You are where you are by the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ. Without any consideration going into your works, good or bad, which led you, or works which only lead you further from God. You do not need to arrogantly insist that your works must count for something, whether that be to condemn you as unworthy of His love or to commend you as worthy of praise. You don't need to claim your part in order to justify your place in Christ's church. In fact, we confess, who dares to claim anything? The Holy Spirit uses this knowledge to shape our minds, to mold our hearts, so that we can continue to learn to, to let go of the, the value of our own works and immerse ourselves more and more in the complete grace of God and the unconditional love of the One who sent His very Son to save you from condemnation. The gospel is that God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. That's the second part of Lord's Day 23 that we looked at this morning. Our conscience accuses us, and the gospel is that Christ is everything for us. And he grants these to me as if I never had nor committed any sin and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me if only I accept this gift with a believing heart. While we sit dripping wet on the boat, grateful to God for his grace to us, and trying to focus, refocus our attention on that mandate, that mission that He created us to, to fulfill, we joyfully confess, for there is no understanding nor will conformable to the understanding and will of God unless Christ has brought it about as He teaches us. And that's how Article 14 ends. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The Holy Spirit uses 1 Corinthians 4, Verses 6 to 7, which includes the display text that we had for today, 
to bring it all together, to encourage us to complete humility in all things. He says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Every good thing we have in this life is from God. Every good thing we do in this life is from God. May God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be praised today and forevermore. Amen. We'll now sing together standing if you're able. We'll sing Psalm 49, stanzas 3 and 4. This is reminding us that no one can give a ransom for a life. We should not put our trust in our own riches, our own deeds, but God alone pays the ransom. He does not leave us and he receives us into glory. Psalm 49, stanzas 3 and 4. <laughs> 